in most spiritual traditions, in most religions in the world, and even several secular languages, the same word, one word, can mean breath or spirit. It would be perfectly appropriate for every single people to tell their people that they are chosen so that they feel responsible for their mission and whatever it is that they're, that they're doing. Many more millionaires do we need to, and gazillionaires, who have all the money, all the power that you could ever want, and they're miserable. No one has to believe it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be real or not. As long as it works. Yeah, right, because yeah. the lie is that that yes. like the material life has something to offer. That it's fulfilling. And as long as you don't have it, you can assume that yeah. it, might, it might just have it. And as you start getting it, yeah. it's like, oh, it's not. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more. More from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right. Welcome all. I'm sitting here with Christian, Christian De La Huerta, a author, speaker, and transformational coach, breathwork therapist. That's where, that's where I met you first as a breathwork uh, practitioner. Right. So I still remember it in, um, I always get confused between Coconut Grove and Coral Gables. Remember that house? I was in the Grove. Yeah. In the Grove? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so you're done. This was little before COVID. Yeah, I mean, I've been there for 10 no, years. No, I'm saying when I came there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember the first time I went there for a breath work. And I mean, in every space you can fit a human body, there was someone on the floor. <laughs> two stories. Yeah, two stories. It was on yeah. the top of the steps, yeah. alongside a bed, at the front door. It was just... <laughs> Everywhere. Yeah, we used to get, like, up until the pandemic, like, 30, 35 people at most. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was great. Yeah. The energy in there, and I guess you had a few helpers. I had, yeah, I had you. people who trained with me. So when we, when we outgrew the first, st- the first story, and we, get, we had to move to the second story, then I needed assistance. I got you. They were training under you to learn yes. what you do instead of, exactly. okay, learn in this way. Exactly. Can Which I is enter. the best way to learn, yeah, like the, the old-time apprenticeship. You learn as you do. Like in the moment, watching, that's why I did that. That's why I played that music, piece of music then. Right. Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's more, it's what I want to do actually in this conversation is I've spoken a lot about breathwork, but um, you're the first person I worked with, not in breathwork, but the first person with transformational uh, type breathwork experiences, meaning the first breathwork experience I had that kind of felt similar to a psychedelic experience mm-hmm. was, was with you at yeah. yeah, and those homes in Coconut Grove. Obviously, after COVID, any time I worked with you was more private. We did one with my yeah. wife and I not long ago, which was yeah. really cool. Yeah. So, um, so I'd really like to dive deep into breath work. You've been at this for thirty-three years. Thirty-three years. Yeah. Do you remember how you got into it? Sure. Um, I was still working in healthcare, uh, marketing. I used to work for a psychiatric and addictions hospital in Miami. And it was a nice kind of cushy job because um, I had wined and dined a lot of referral sources, so psychiatrists and doctors and psychologists and the police, that kind of thing. So I had something to do at night, so I was lay out, laying out by the pool in the morning, and I was reading something spiritual, and some guy that lived in the building came down and saw us, so we started to talk, and he said something about breath work. And it was like an immediate yes. Like I didn't even need to know that much about it. It It's like I knew somewhere in me (laughs) that it was the next thing for me to do. And and like a few months later, I did it. And it changed my life, my first session. Was there a a thing before when you say it was something for you to do? Was there something that you were, were you kind of on the spiritual path somewhat? And this was another 
avenue or were you not there at all and this became the first? I was sort of rekindling, restarting to explore again. Like I grew up in a really religious environment, a very Catholic environment. And then in my 20s, I kind of threw the baby out with a baptismal water <laughs> and wanted nothing to do with anything. I say threw the baby out with? With the baptismal water. <laughs> oh, I got you. Yeah. Um, it just, you know, realized that that religion didn't have room for me, uh, that I wasn't a right match. And so my 20s, I mostly, you know, dedicated to my professional growth, to my personal growth, but not from a spiritual perspective. And then as I approached the end of my 30s, I started to think, you know, I was pretty successful. And the more that I had, the more that I was sought after professionally or personally, I just kept thinking there has to be more to life. Right. Like it was like I had an expanding hole in my gut. And so I started the search. And then it's kind of like that eastward. lie gets exposed a little bit, right? Because yeah. the lie is that that... Yes. Like the material life has something to offer. That it's fulfilling. And as long as you don't have it, you can assume that yeah. it might it might just have it. And as you start getting it, yeah. it's like, oh, it's not. Yeah, it's not what they it's said It's not it was. enough. It's right. not enough. I mean, it's not knocking it. Like the abundance in this world, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, like it certainly buys us the freedom and it buys us the ability to do things that are really good for ourselves, for our family, our loved ones, for the world. But it's not where the happiness is going to be found. Right. Like, no, how many more millionaires do we need to, and gazillionaires, who have all the money, all the power that you could ever want, and they're miserable, and they have drug addictions, all these celebrities, you know, suicide rate. So we know that's not where the answer is. Correct. (laughs) And so I started to look eastward, so I started to look into Buddhism and Hinduism, and so I was reading something about that. I don't remember what it was that I was reading, but as soon as I heard breathwork, it was like the easiest enrollment ever i said yep tell me when how much oh cool yeah and and then what it was was holotropic breathwork that's where it... no it was called uh, at the time it was called rebirthing holotropic is longer kind of a very similar pattern but it's longer you do it for three sometimes even four hours oh wow yeah so as your first experience was a three four hour no no no. my first experience was just what i do like an hour gotcha. an hour and a half yeah and it was i did it in a group like you did the first time too very cool and that's after that you were hooked after that, I did 10 one-on-one sessions like you and I did with the teacher that I eventually trained with. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then from there, you left your professional career and focused it, that on That was probably, that was October. By the next June, I quit my job and sold my condo, ended a relationship, gave away or, or, or sold most of my belongings and went off on a spiritual journey. Oh, you're going to scare people from doing breath work. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, from here I am, like 30 years right. later, I jumped tracks. I would, my dad was a psychiatrist. My degree's in psychology. I was on a track to get a PhD. And after that first session, I knew. Like, I knew. And... and jump tracks never went for the phd and no regrets i've done this for you know for 30 years all over the world so is it my imagination um just because i'm getting involved in it recently so i think everyone else is or has something changed significantly in the last five or so years for sure for sure so in what terms do you think? Of, in terms of people knowing about it for sure yeah. something shifted what do you think that is what, what do you you know i think it was following the same kind of trajectory as yoga did and meditation Kind of gradually, then suddenly. Yeah, I think it probably hit a critical mass or something. Um, But yeah, I I don't know that there was exactly one thing. But I agree with you. Like now, most everybody talks about breathwork. When when I started doing it, and people would ask me, like, 
like I could see the, the like the curtain falling behind the eyes. Like, like what? <laughs> I don't know that I want to be talking to this weird guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny that it's so strange, but it's just breathing. And that's, I think that's what people have a hard time with. It is so simple, so accessible and so powerful and so transformative. So, so how would you explain it to someone who's listening to this, has heard this term breathwork? Obviously you and I are breathing now, but that's not what we mean by, by breathwork. Yeah. So how, 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 how would you explain what it is yeah. and what it does? Well, first we should probably say that breathwork is a kind of an umbrella term. So a lot of different types of breathing techniques, breathing practices. Anybody, anybody who's ever gone to yoga has done breath work. You know, there's pranayama, there's breathing for uh, relaxation, for stress reduction. There's others, others that are more like for focus and energizing yourself. The one that we're talking about is kind of breath, breath work on steroids. Like it's really, really powerful. You do it not only because of the length of time, um, an hour, an hour and a half, but it's like I have yet 33 years later to come across anything that heals as quickly, as powerfully, and, and as in so many levels as that, including with all due respect, the, all the medicine work. Including psychedelics. Including psychedelics, yeah, which, which I totally honor and bow to. Um, and with, with the right context, you know, one, one of my concerns about psychedelics is that a lot of people doing it without a context, without information with so they have this incredible mind expanding experience and then they don't know what to do with it so they have a, a difficult time reintegrating that re-entering their day-to-day their -day life and you don't find that with breathwork i think breathwork is a lot more in all 33 years thousands of people that i've offered it to only i only know of one person who had who spun out not spun out but she went so wild so like has such a unitary experience like people often do with with medicine work um, that she had a hard time getting back into her day-to-day -day. it's it's gentler it's more natural in a way i mean all we're doing is breathing um and i mean and and i'm not in, in any way we're knocking medicine work it's like i really right. do honor it and i wouldn't be who i am if it wasn't for my experiences with that um Breathwork to me is just more accessible. People, a lot of people are never going to do medicine work because of the, le the legality or they just feel like they're scared of it. This is just breathing. And, and yet you can access some of the sa same states of being that you can with medicine, just using your breath. Right. Some of the things I wonder with myself is um, that my first couple medicine experiences happened just before our breathwork. And I had done, I had a breathwork therapist for a couple of years who I worked with, but uh, he was trained. I don't know if you know Dan Brule. I do know. So Dan he was Brule. he was trained by him, and most of the things we did together were shorter, five or ten minutes of breathing. Oftentimes, before uh, sitting down in a coaching session, he'd say, "Okay, you know, I see you're carrying a lot of stuff. Let's do this for the next ten minutes, and then we'd have the the session." And we did a couple of longer experiences, but I didn't have that kind of psychedelic experience. And what I've wondered is, did the psychedelic experiences unlock something that allowed me to have that experience with you, or would I have had it anyway? You don't know, right? I mean, I don't know. I can't answer that. But I can tell you that it could be either way. It could be a both and. Um, and I can tell you a lot of people who have never had a medicine experience can get to the same places. 
just using the breath. When when you like the the first experience I went to, say you have thirty or thirty five people there, I'm sure a fair number of them are newcomers. Do you see after an experience that some of them haven't had that transformational experience? Is there some percentage of that? It happens with hmm. medicine too, by the way. Where some yeah, people that's a just... good question. I don't because I've done so many and the, and I don't always have follow up with them. Like the ones, there's some number of them. Some of them come one time and then they never come again. Right. And even though I can see they had a profound experience, sometimes it scares them. Yeah. Um, or sometimes, who knows what they do? You know, sometimes they got what they came for and they don't want to do it again. They don't feel they need to do it. Sometimes they'll do a retreat five years later, 10 years later. Um, but I haven't like studied follow-up and who, who or, or when, what kind of, I haven't tried any study of what kind of experience they have with whether they come back. Sometimes I have people have that more subtle initial experiences initially, and then they come regularly. So when you say subtle, what do you mean by that? What would, how would they describe their experience? Well, you know, it's different every time you do it, and it's different from person to person. Sometimes it's more subtle, meaning, um, you know, physical sensations. You might have a little bit of emotions. Um, that would be more on the subtle end of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum I call it cosmic fireworks. You become one with everything, one with the cosmos, one with creation. You have ancestors, loved ones who've passed, who are no, or loved ones who no longer live in this realm who show up. With That's what happened to me the first time. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah and it was, it, was weird. it was interesting afterwards because um, during it, I felt like I was having a conversation with my grandmother. <laughs> a lot of and people do that. As she had passed maybe 25 years ago. I was very close with her as a, as a child. And we had a, an interaction, right? Like three or four things that I felt we said back and forth. And then afterwards, I noticed that it was a day before, a day after her, um, uh, the anniversary of her passing, which was, Oof, which I was interesting. So was, I love that. It was definitely trippy. It's, it's amazing. Sure. I mean, just a couple of days ago, on Sunday, I had um, a session with a woman, probably in her 60s, early 60s. And she, her, her, initial trauma with the relationship with her mom um and her mom passed you know some three four years ago but she had never felt loved by her mom she had a good in a good that kind of level experience with her father uh but in the session and, and i could feel i didn't know who yeah. was there but i could feel something was going on i was like you know little hair <laughs> stood on my on my arms and she said that her mom came and she felt her and her mom like did this Oh, I, I actually did that, but she knew that it was her mom. It was right when her mother showed up, like if she could smell and like... Sp hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Feel her presence, and I just and I happened to do that, like right in, at <laughs> that moment, and she like you know started crying yeah. because for the first time she felt her mom's love. That's neat. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like I had another woman a couple of years ago, eighty-three. Her like we do a share like at the end of the group. Just I want to make sure first that timer, first timer, and only amazing. timer. Wow. And her share at the end was it has taken me eighty-three years to know that my daddy loved me. Wow. Like just from breathing, how that works. You still don't know. <laughs> I mean, we can talk a lot about, about it, but I think ultimately. They haven't studied breathwork in the same way they've studied meditation. A lot of research on meditation, what happens in the brain, what happens in the body. Some of it, can, it's applicable, but they haven't, they're just not beginning to study breathwork. So the way that I understand it, the way that I relate to it is more from a spiritual, psycho-spiritual. Yeah, you go for it. Yeah. Um, and the way you understand it. Yeah, when we think about it, in most spiritual traditions, in most religions in the world and even several secular languages the same word one word can mean breath or spirit <laughs> and so to me that's the ultimate explanation it's it's because people that that even don't consider themselves spiritual report profound spiritual experiences so we have divine vis- visitations that are reported frequently and, and how about this specific modality? Meaning there's a lot of different kind of breathing, like you mentioned. It sounds like what you're saying is that through breathing, you can access your spirit. Your spirit or the spirit, whatever right. it is, whatever it is, spirit. Right. Okay, um, through, through, yeah, through, through the breath. So right. what is it about the, the modality that you practice, the transformational type, the hour, hour and a half experiences that allow for this is there something physiologically that's going on then that can explain i this? don't know that i don't know the f- physiological they haven't really studied the physiological stuff one of the theories about why breath work works is that we have dmt you know produced mm-hmm. endogenously by the pineal gland and when we breathe in this way for a certain period of time it's released but we that can't be really studied <laughs> right. because they would have to kill us to to measure the dmt in the pineal gland uh, which I think is only released when you're born and when you die or something. Those are the highest concentrations. The highest yeah. concentrations, yeah. Um, so, you know, but it's it's so often that, that things happen that are just, like I used to say, like people would ask me, am I making this up? I used to think, am I making this up? <laughs> um, and then I got to the point where I said, it's like, who cares? Like we could, so we could argue that all of this, like this is all a right, right? Okay. So then if it's all made up, then why not? Why not add meaning where I want to add meaning? And there, there were certain experiences along the way that are just undeniable. Like, for example, like a few years ago, this woman had had some kind of a falling out with her grandmother, who was actually her mother figure who had raised her and had been years since they had communication in a breathwork session. I think this was a weekend retreat. So the last of the four breathwork sessions, she got to a place of forgiveness. That was on Sunday. On Monday, the grandmother called. Like, how does that right. work? Yeah. And we can talk about how we're all interconnected. <laughs> right. You know, we can talk about all kind of that stuff, but I don't know that there's this, at least our science isn't advanced enough right. yet to help us understand how that works. Right. right. I, th- I think that, you know, even the, the questions around it come from a place of doubting spirituality. 
very real way. But for those who don't, and I think a lot of the listeners here um, are at least curious or open enough to to not be hardcore doubters. Yeah, there is. You you hear stuff like this all the time. I've had yeah. certainly medicine experiences that things happen in the real world afterwards that yes exactly. inexplicable 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 a friend and by of the mine, way the it like you don't have to believe any in anything for this to work right that's true it it works. Is not, right it's just like the mind could be saying i hate this and this guy's crazy and i'm never going to do it mm-hmm. again and it still works as long as you're breathing it's going to work <laughs> right that's the beauty of it it bypasses yeah. the mind <laughs> i had a friend who told me it was a medicine experience but still just the the link between real world and not um, where he was going through some process, I don't remember the specifics, but around some stuff with his mom. And he said when he came out of the experience, he had five missed calls from his mom. <laughs> and he said she never calls him. Like, absolutely never calls yeah. him. He's in his 40s today. And uh, he called her afterwards, and he said, well, like, what was going on? She said, I don't know. Just this feeling overcame me, and I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, uh, like, for him, it was it was his first medicine experience, and it blew his whole world open that there was this process what's going on with his mom and and experiencing that but again it doesn't no one has to believe it it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be real or not as long as it works yeah as long as it's having good effects like who cares right what i found certainly is um i've come in times carrying just a lot a lot of intensity a lot of stress a lot of worry and all of that is gone by the uh by the end of it it's to me that's the minimum that happens Right. The minimum is that's like your baseline result. Deeply relaxed. You feel like you you just lighter, more optimistic, clearer. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I struggle with is that there are not enough people who practice this. Like to me, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know why so many therapists exist. No offense to therapists, but the experiences I've had on breathwork, I wonder why. Most therapists aren't just saying, okay, we're going to turn this session into 30 minutes of breathing and 30 minutes of talking. I know. I know. That's why I jumped track, so I never went for the PhD. And, and here's why, and with all due respect to therapy, and, and, and the, that's, I came out of the psychotherapy world. Um, and in the right hands, with clear goals, it can be incredibly supportive. And we all know that you can sit on somebody's couch or their office for 5, 10, 20, 30 years rehashing the same old crap and nothing happens. The reason for that, and, and certainly understanding up in the mind what happened to us when we were five or 10 or 15 is better than not understanding and not, not knowing it at all. But the thing is that the trauma no longer lives here. It's been somaticized. It now lives in the body, so no amount of talking about it is gonna get to it. Um, and so that's where, to me, I have a lot of therapists who send people to me when, when they get, you know, when they plateau in therapy, when they get a little stuck, they'll refer to me for a session or two, or we can retreat and it like, it's like, right. it really speeds up, catalyzes their, their therapy. Yeah. That's the ideal combination. Right. That's, mm-hmm. and, and that's exactly what this, this coach that I worked with for a while, that was his process. And I found yeah. it super effective. There was almost no session that started without a few minutes of breathing. Yeah. And if I was carrying more, then it may be 20 or 30 yeah, minutes before yeah, yeah, we yeah. end up talking. Yeah. Because what is there to talk about when I'm still like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all I'm doing you, is describing the Nottoman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's when my private sessions, are, they're long. But, you know, they're worth it. I have people tell me, you know, that was like five years of therapy. Because we do coaching for an hour, an hour and a half maybe, and then we breathe for about the same time. And they're amazing. 
So right. That combination to me is what, what's ideal. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of the, um, you know, I mean, like the ceremony and the, and the integration. Yes, exactly. So that you get, you understand, you make, connect the dots as to what happened when, you know, we're five. And, and then when you have the, the actual healing at a cellular level, you know, the trauma that lives in the body gets cleared, that's the most powerful. But I, I still don't have enough names of people who do this that compared to the amount of people who reach out to me um, that want this. Like, for example, you're, you live in Ecuador now. Right. I'm kind of in between. Um, Ecuador, Miami. Ecuador, Miami, Northern California, and now Colombia. Right. Yeah. So I've sent a few, a few people your way, but nowhere near the number of people in any one yeah. city that, like, I, I feel like, I mean, I would want to have five or 10 breathwork therapists in, I every, know. I know. in every city that I know of. So when people reach out to me, it's like, hey, start, start here. I know. <laughs> this, this morning, I just got an email from somebody in New York. Hey, do you know anybody there? So I don't know if the, I have two, three people in New York, New Jersey who train with me. So now I've got to go see, hey, are you seeing clients? I'll have to yeah. do that when I get home. Yeah, because a lot of people stopped doing it during the pandemic because even though it's what we most needed to be doing we couldn't be breathing together in the same room <laughs> right, powerful was, <laughs> <laughs> right of all the things <laughs> yeah but I, you know a lot of people moved to virtual and, and did some of those yeah you, you do some virtual sessions i don't do i do it very selectively right for some people you that, worked with people that i work with people refer by, by a therapist so that i know they have support right it's powerful it's not like when, I, when people tell me in a group, oh, can I do this with my friends? I said, no, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it. It's, you never know what's underneath somebody's psyche. And that might be triggered. I've had people like, I've had to handle intense stuff. Like people, you know, with having suicidal thoughts, people trying to bolt out and rip off all their clothes <laughs> and try to run out. Um, in person, I can handle it. I know how to handle that. <clears throat> in, in a group, virtually, click. <laughs> right. There's nothing I can do. Right, that's true. So, like, I do a year-long coaching program. About the s- second quarter, once I get a sense of who's in it and what kind of stuff they're dealing with, then we'll introduce virtual. Virtual breathwork. Yeah. Understood. But, I have, but not initially. But in person, you're fully comfortable with anyone. <laughs> no, oh, my God, right. yeah. No problem. Got it. So no there's problem. no one you would say that breathwork is not for them, no psyches that are too sensitive that should worry about it? I've never had a problem. Right, because when it comes to medicine, for example, there are a number of people who, um, say, if there's schizophrenia in the family, I don't even think they know the Western medicine really knows where the risks are with this. But there's a number of people who they say, "Hey, keep keep them away from yeah, 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 um, yeah. like from any of the trials, for example, that are going on. Like they're the outside breath work, as far as you're concerned. As far as I'm concerned, I I trust the breath. (laughs) I trust the breath. As long and, as you're there. And I figure that if, if yeah. it's not for them, they'll, they'll be blocked. They won't make it. Meaning? Like something, like I've had people, I mean, and most of the time I know it's fear, right? They'll, they'll sign up for a weekend retreat and they have that initial yes. Like I, they feel mm-hmm. the, the potential, potential of healing and freedom. Um, and yet, on the day of, missed flights, minor car accidents, flu, you know, cold or something. Like psychologically, they're like sabotaging experience. Understood. Yeah. So I think that's what it is most of the time, and then I'm open to the possibility that it's you know what it wasn't really for them at this point in their life. So I don't know. I don't need to know. I trust. But in terms of screening, there isn't much screening that no. you'll do for a breathwork. <laughs> hey, thirty people sign up, you all come. Yeah. I don't have to know what. Um, yeah. 
physical or mental issue yeah. someone's dealing with. Trust a breath. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that I do talk about in a group is if you have a heart condition, make sure you're on your meds. Because you're going to be breathing powerfully. The, heart, the heart's going to be working hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What I've, one of the things that I found super cool about it is that you can, unlike psychedelics where you're on the train once you take it and it's going <laughs> to let you off when it lets yeah. you off, over here it's like, okay, that's intense. It's like, okay, that's where you're at. And then just chill for the rest yes. of it. And five minutes later, if I want to pick it back up, I'll pick exactly. back up the breathing. It's exactly. Not, yeah. It's, it's yeah. like kind of that paradox or that both and that it's surrendering to the breath and letting the breath guide you. And you can also guide Right, <laughs> your experience so that if you had a peak and then you start plateauing you want to go for more fireworks speed up your breath like go <laughs> go for it again and then you can have multiple peaks in one session yeah it's pretty wild yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah. experience um if someone is looking for a breathwork coach this kind of breathwork what would you are, are there things to look for or not look for you know, th there isn't a real certification process. Like, I certify people who study with me, but there's no, like, global or even national certification as there is, like, for yoga. Do you know how many people you certified? I haven't counted recently, but I would say 40, 50. So even that itself can be a network of people that... Yeah. Is there a database of all of them somewhere that... I like, haven't hey, published a database, no. And not all of them are practicing. Right. Like, a lot of them... I think looking back on it, they did it for their own transformational. Right. And sometimes just like I've thought a few times of going through the process and probably if I wasn't um, married with a few kids, I would have done that at some point. Just, hey, let me take a, a weekend or, you know, or longer to go through the process of certification and everything that entails afterwards. But it, never to do it just to know it, meaning never to be yeah, a yeah, yeah. coach. But even if maybe half of those are practicing and they're actually looking for clients just knowing that hey this is a someone who's been certified in in some way that can be helpful yeah that's a great idea i'll put it on my to-do list yeah and then you charge a small commission for any referrals <laughs> there you go <laughs> it's a it's a win-win-win it's a win-win yeah and share that commission with me so we can pay for these microphones <laughs> and a nice setup uh, by the yeah way. we have <laughs> sweet setup thank you thank you tyler is the the, the brains behind it. The heart behind it is Ryan, for sure, who's, who's not here. Tyler's the brains behind it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I just think I'd love to just kind of publish that because I talk about these concepts all the time and then I'll get people reaching out, hey, you know, who can I do medicine with? Who can I do breath work with? Do you know someone in LA? I'm like, no, not really. And then for one person recently, I just Googled it, breath work in LA, and I said, I, I don't know, but here's this... <laughs> It's some group happening. They signed up. They said they had a great experience, which is like, okay, <laughs> awesome. That's cool. So maybe back to that question of what would someone be, be looking for? Maybe certain words or certain yeah. formats or certain anything. What someone's yeah. looking for. I mean, for a thing, they can reach out to me, right? And okay. I'm, ha I'm happy if I know somebody in a certain area. I'm, I'm always referring people to. And the way to reach you is? Probably the best way is my website, soulfulpower.com. S-O-U-L-F-U-L-P-O-W-E-R.com. From there, they can get my social media, but just, yeah, just have them send me an email and, and I'm happy to refer people. To right. Them. And in terms of recommendation, I mean, I've worked with you a few times, both in groups and private and referred a number of people and have only heard amazing things. So thank you. So we're, if you're in one of those spaces, that's someone who does want to work. Yeah. Right there. 
comes yeah. with my recommendation for sure. Yeah, and then I'm also starting live retreats again. And so the retreats, you know, are different locations, different parts of the world. So they can come to that for a weekend. Right. One of the, the one of the things I love about the weekend retreats is that you do four breathwork sessions back to back. And when you do them like that, back to back in a designed mm-hmm. uh, space, in a dedicated space for that, it kind of intensifies sort of a like compound interest. Right. They build on each other. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not one to two. Yeah. Three to four. It's like yeah. two to four to eight. Yeah, to yeah. you keep 16. going deep, peeling yeah. like the layers of the onion, going deeper and deeper and deeper. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like with hurricanes. They say, so say you have a, an eighty mile an hour hurricane versus a hundred sixty mile an hour hurricane. It's not twice as powerful because you have all the sides of it. Mm. Right. So you th- think of the hurricane. So it's not just if something's going straight. Okay, it's twice as powerful. But if something's doing this, interesting, so you're getting hit by it. Right. I mean, how many? I don't know, is it 4X? That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. You'd think I'd know that being from the tropics, (laughs) from the Caribbean and Miami. So who I heard this from is I had dinner years ago with, I was part of this business group and the woman's, this was couples, and one of the women in the group, her husband was part of the um, National Hurricane Center in Florida. And he was talking about that. And I was like, yeah, actually makes, once once you hear it, it makes a lot of sense. But it's not- a hurricane that's 160 miles an hour is not twice as powerful. It's many more times because of it's a lot of winds coming together. And all of those are twice as powerful. I'm going to ask him what that Yes, yeah, see, is. maybe I'm wrong on this, but this is the way he described it. He had good technical terms no, it makes total sense. To, des- to describe it, makes it. So it's kind of the same thing. It's not twice as powerful, two breathworks. It's like yeah. you're compounding. Exponentially. Right? I, don't know how, I don't know what the yeah, number is going. either. So that's what you'll normally you do a weekend retreat in four. Four, yeah. So we start Thursday night. We do the first one then. Friday, Saturday, and then the last one on Sunday. And oh, so you're doing one a day, pretty much. One a day, yeah, yeah, because of the integration thing that we're ta- we, we're talking mm-hmm. about. That we need time for integration. Got it. Do you have one on the calendar that's coming up? Huh. No. Yeah. I just started. Like I just did the first one. I've done two actually. I did one in Ecuador, like a ten-day experience in Ecuador. Uh, we went to the Galapagos and did this amazing ten-day breathwork experience. Yeah. How many breathworks in that? We probably did four. Got it. Because we're also moving, you know, sort of like if a vacation and a retreat got married and had a child. So it's a little bit of both, like a vacation with intention. Um, and we stayed in some beautiful, exquisite places and had some amazing experience. We did a, a sweat lodge. The South American oh, version of it. I just did one recently for the first time. Wow. Here in South Florida? No, I did it in Costa Rica. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, yeah, I they're was, amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. So yeah. so you led one of those? or No, no, no. I wouldn't. Yeah. I'm not oh, qualified to lead right. one. But, but no, I work with a shaman. I usually work with local shamans wherever. Like when gotcha. they were retreat in Hawaii, I work with uh, the kahuna. I have a kahuna on different islands. So, so, can we talk about sweat lodges for a minute? Because it's sure, my first experience. Sure. It was, it was <laughs> unreal. I wondered if it's like the, um, maybe we should describe it for, well, so it's, uh, it's basically um, a steam room. I mean, like a four hour <laughs> steam room. Like in an igloo. Right. <laughs> You're kind of on, uh, for me, there were probably 12 people in it and it barely fit the 12 of us. Yeah. So you have the fire in the middle and every 30 or so minutes or 40 minutes, they're bringing more rocks, so it's getting harder, pouring water on it, and you're in this closed igloo where, I don't know, maybe it's three feet high or so? 
I think it's probably a little bit more. Well, more. it depends. If you're out, out towards the edges, you're almost touching that. Right. At the top, yeah. and then in maybe the center, the, probably, you're probably there's, I don't know, two, three feet. I don't know. Um, it's, you definitely can't stand no. in it. So it kind of <laughs> no, has this. You definitely can't, can't stand. The only thing is, was when you've done it, has, was it very dark in yours? Oh, pitch black. Okay, so that's the only thing that from other people I experienced. It was, because it was sunny outside, so some light came in, even though it was completely covered. Yeah. But it didn't have that pitch black. Um, yeah. That pitch black, which maybe different traditions do it differently. The group that I did it with is the Lakota tradition. I've done Lakota in in South Dakota. I've done I've done um, in New Mexico. I've done the Temascal in South America. Right. So this, I think, I think mine was probably about three hours. You're in there for or so. I don't know exactly. They vary. No, yeah. I think sometimes they go longer. And they have right, I guess everyone could. Yeah, in ours, the um, practitioner was much older. And I, I kind of felt like because of her age, she had to take her foot off the pedal, and I probably got it initiated in a lighter kind of ceremony. But it felt like, it felt to me like the the place where I ended up in, that with many medicines and you know probably breath work, almost everything, people's ego can fight. I do not know if the ego can survive this because at the end of the day, you're, I mean, by us, everyone had their head on the ground. You're covered in sweat and <laughs> you're covered in sweat and dirt, and your head is your face is for the a good part of it six inches off the ground. I mean, there's no. You there's mean no trying to get away from the heat? Like I never. Almost had everyone had to. Really? No, I never I had to do that. Yeah, I'd say our whole group was uh, not for all of it, but any time we needed to, right? So the earth stays cool. Yeah. So I I was with one of the guys I was with. He's a very experienced meditator, and you know. I saw he was doing his best to hold on as long as possible in that meditative position. And after about, I don't know, an hour and a half or two hours, his head was on the, on the dirt. Because huh. right, the, the way it works is by the earth, it's always cooler. Yeah. So yeah, if heat, you need that. It rises, yeah. Right. So if you need that. Huh. And it stays cool throughout. The earth. Cool. So I'd say probably about 50% of the time my face was on the pavement. So maybe <laughs> she didn't take you so lightly after Maybe all. she didn't. Right. Because <laughs> I've never had to. No, you, don't, you haven't I've never had to. had to do that. Gotcha. Maybe they maybe they break more frequently. Right. Like, I also I I volunteered to help put the rocks on it, which was much tougher than I thought. Yeah. So by the third one, I was like, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna let someone else do this. I was sweating so much just removing the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like a lot of like physical work too. Yeah, yeah, so it's powerful. That and I think had. profoundly spiritual too, just to be in that for sure. That no, isolated space. There's something going on that's way beyond what. Like the mm-hmm. the four walls and the you know they've figured something out they've cracked some code yeah and yeah. it's not the four walls because it's circular whatever but <laughs> there's something more than the container right yeah 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 but yeah people have visions right meaning it's not just okay we'll put rocks in the middle we'll sit in a, I don't know that I would have had nearly the same experience if I went into a a like sauna, a sauna for three hours like no, there's I, something no, of course right there's yeah, something there's, else there's ceremony they're invoking the spirits they're Calling in the directions, they're singing every every cycle. There's songs and and that was for sure. Is that when ritual ceremony? It's, when they started singing, that's when all my fears in life started coming up. <laughs> when they weren't, I seemed to be okay. All of a sudden, the singing would start. <laughs> and, uh, really, I wonder why. I because I think that it's just like an ayahuasca ceremony. Those songs oh, they're singing are not yes, yes are I not mistakes. It. So the period of time where yes, it's still very warm, but they're loading the rocks in, yeah. or they just loaded and it's closed. I'm like, okay, I think it's fine. I'm just 
worried about the physical sensations. And then as they would start singing the the yeah. chants, suddenly it was like, you know, I'm worried about my kids, my wife, my this, <laughs> all the other, you know, yeah, kind of the pre ceremony, not the like just before going in. I don't know if you have those experiences, but for me, it's like just before entering the yeah. the space, whatever dimension any of these practices are bringing one into all of my fears in life come up. It's like, oh, I didn't realize that one was... <laughs> it's the ego I... mind. Yeah. You know, the ego mind, part of its job is to maintain the status quo. Even if the status quo is at best comfortable, at worst miserable, it doesn't care. So anything that's going to loosen its hold on things, it's going to be very scary to it. It's going to be threatened by it. So of course it makes sense that at the, right before right. a big transformation that I would try to like scare you. <laughs> All of the all the fears come up. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned something earlier about um, growing up very religious and kind of moving away from that, and then reconnecting through this. Was there um, a like as you were entering kind of the spiritual, the Eastern religions, and the spiritual teachings and healing that comes from these practices? Were there some of those old voices from childhood saying, "Hey, is this wrong? Is this incorrect? Does this contradict mm -hmm. those?" Things. Do you remember that? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it was a, it was a journey for sure. Um, because, you know, the way that I was raised, there's only one true religion. Right. <laughs> right, the one only. Uh, so, of course, um, it, there was, it was a process of dismantling that. And it was, a, it was a combination of, I think, three things that really, like, took that down. One, so... I went as far as I thought I wanted to be a priest. In I went to a you know Jesuit high school, and I thought I wanted to be a priest. Um, and I actually went. I had a meeting with the the guy who decided who got in and who didn't. Thankfully, was a wise man who said, "What do you? What do you, you know? Go to college at least a couple of years, and then well, we'll talk." They say rejection is God's protection. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even a rejection, right? He it was a said, nice rejection. Go somewhere else and come back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but several things happened in those years in college. It took class in existentialism in college and began began a process of questioning you know the catholic worldview and the way that i had the way that i had been taught to look at things um i had a phase of experimentation uh with mind expanding substances and that accelerated that process of questioning reality as i as i knew it and then i fell in love and those three things combined like I'd had sex before, but I had never had that experience of sex and love, like making right. love. Um, and it just, like the Jesuits never stood a chance after that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was the main gist of it. And then there was still from time through during my 20s. But until going to university, you were 100% bought in. This is the one truth. This is the only truth. Yeah. This is, got it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, re the reason probably, I yeah probably senior year started the question senior year high school right the reason i ask is because it seems to me like one of the we saw like the ego mind like one of the last frontiers for maybe i don't say last or first one of the most powerful um tricks the ego plays to control are a lot of these childhood religious ideas that all of a sudden seem to come to the forefront in very intense ways when someone's about to get to the other side of, yeah. of something. And what's interesting is that for myself, this process has actually brought me much closer to my Judaism, but 
in going through it, I had to wrestle with all of these things that almost, I don't think the average person would have looked at me in the life I was living and asked and, and imagined that those are the thoughts that would have come up as I was going into, let's say, an ayahuasca ceremony or a breathwork practice. Meaning I wasn't eating in a kosher restaurant the night before, but I'm walking into a breathwork place and suddenly I'm looking on the wall at all the images and wondering if they're Jewish. And it's okay. I was like, oh, I see a Hebrew letter. Like, maybe this is okay. Why do they have that one? You know, or I was speaking to someone recently and um, I was talking to him about the power. He was struggling with sex addiction and was married with children and um, engaged in pornography and prostitution. And I said, um, you know, maybe you should consider if other things aren't working. He had tried 12 steps. Maybe you should consider, you know, plant medicines. It's really helped me. And so is that okay from a Jewish perspective? I think I have to check with my rabbi. I'm like, okay, just do you check with your rabbi before you go to the prostitute? I mean, that, <laughs> like, suddenly you have something that That's can heal, funny. right? That is funny. Suddenly something that can heal, and all of a sudden all these questions come up. So I thought kind of comparing and contrasting like this idea from different religions would be interesting. That's why that I, is funny. Yeah, I think for me it was already... Like I had already had that throwing up with the baby with mm -hmm. the bathwater thing. Right, from with those three experiences. Water. But one of them was medicine. Yeah. Yeah. And there were some of those ideas that you had to let go of. Yeah, Do you remember I, them or it's too I had, far? I had already started to let go of some of the ideas. Um, I always read a lot too. So from science fiction, I was already questioning right. stuff. Um, but it was that combination of like what really sped it up the real catalyst was that combination of the philosophy class the which you know i started learning about all these heresies and all these actual questioning of of that worldview uh, we weren't heresies um in some very logical arguments right that, that had validity to me and then combined with the the, the just reality shattering experiences I was having on the psychedelics. And and today with um, Catholicism and religion, have you returned in some way? Or do you see it as... Uh... No, I don't, I don't consider myself anything. Like, I, I honor all the traditions. I think they all are valid paths to the sacred. I don't think any of them are really necessary. I think one can... can that, and in fact, that's one of the ways that I measure them. I also challenge them all. I said, to me, that to the degree that a religion, a tradition, is helping us become better human beings, to really fulfilling our potential, to develop that personal connection and experience of the sacred, then they're doing their job. But to right. the degree that they're creating separation and hatred and what I call a theological pissing contest, right. my God is bigger than yours, <laughs> right. then... Hmm. Right, it's not a godly perspective no it's yeah. a very limited you know anthropo anthropo what's the word anthropomorphized like right our like humanizing right yeah. our human projections of yeah of god yeah for me it's kind of been this i don't even know how to describe it because it's done both on the one hand i like almost the way i say it today my process has has got me to say f religion but i've embraced god but as part of that, I've also embraced my Judaism, but not in the, not in the way I was raised with it, but in a different, I don't know. That's great. You know, That's even this beautiful. idea, you know, like um, Judaism has chosen, right? Like that idea. 
So those was always, you know, it's like, oh, we're chosen. Yeah, I think it's true. And I think it's true for everyone. Like, I think like the world operates on efficiency, meaning there isn't anything extra. In the human body, there isn't any, oh, this thing does nothing. No, it's, a, it's an ear. It does nothing. And the other thing that we haven't figured out yet, it does something. <laughs> right. Right? We'll find out one day what it does. So it's kind of the same thing. It's, I think that every, like, you wouldn't want the finger to sit there, or the hand, let's say, to think like, oh, the heart is more chosen. No, no, like, you, you're pretty chosen. You have a very important job, and yeah. you got to do what's, what's necessary. And the heart to be feel chosen and the shoulder to feel chosen for that job. Like, yeah, everyone is chosen. So meaning, like, the way I see it today, and, you know, maybe it's, it's heresy according to Judaism, is that it would be perfectly appropriate for every single people to tell their people that they are chosen so that they feel responsible for their mission Mm-hmm. And whatever it is that they're that they're doing, so this this people embraced this idea, and Judaism, you know, took on certain things back several thousand years ago. And it's okay. This is our people, and we were chosen for this. And this is what we're going to do. Like we're chosen yeah, for this. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean someone else isn't. Yeah, they were chosen for something else. And hopefully, like the way I'm looking, like we spoke about Temescal and you know other kind of things. There's certain traditions which sacrifice tremendously to be able to preserve these rituals and practices it wasn't an accident that these things survived and if you think about the like the wars going on in many of these countries where a few hundred people said no no we're not giving in we're not converting we're not becoming part of them and then today we're going to them and say okay teach us some of these traditions and whether we get the sweat lodge or certain breathing practices yes and i think judaism did the same thing it's like oh tell us you have the sabbath thing it's like, wow, what a cool tradition that you yeah. preserved for, <laughs> yeah. for 3,000 yeah. years. Like, how amazing. And there's is, something to that. Is, I think, like, Sabbath probably makes more sense now for sure. than at any time in human history. Definitely. Like, the fact that uh, certain people preserve this. It's like, hey, this idea of not working seven days a week. And the technology thing. What? Like, Meaning getting away from technology. Get away from brilliant. technology for a day. Yeah, that, brilliant. That's an amazing practice. Right. Like, how many of us can actually do that? Like, leave the phone for 24 hours. I, I started doing it. Good. I started doing it. I had an ayahuasca experience where it helped me let go of some religious um, resentments that I was carrying onto, holding onto for family and things like that. And shortly thereafter, it showed me, like, you want to see this gift of the of the Sabbath. Yeah. And it brought me, so it was all feeling, but it was lights and colors and I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And I think that combination of letting go of the resentments that I had around some stress that was Sabbath-related, you know, when I was a kid, plus seeing what, like, the energy of it, I was like, oh, wow, there's something beautiful. And now uh, I had a breathwork experience a few weeks ago, and again, I connected to this energy of Sabbath and how since doing it, what it's, like, done for my family and how it's protected us. And it's like, wow, it's just such a cool thing to one day a week just... Hey, I'm offline. It's amazing. Yeah, connect. I think we would so, all benefit from doing that. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. I don't know how we got here, but... <laughs> yeah. It was... Uh, right, right. To me, what was interesting, I know where I started it, was about the... Like, so much of this religious programming, how it seeps so deep. And then as we're becoming who we need to become, these things come out in full force. And I was just interested in hearing it from... A, a different a different religion you know what i mean someone who 
because every religion will say, oh, but ours is the truth. That's why it's so right. hard to let, go, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> to, right. to let go of. But you had a hard time letting go of. I have a, a conversation I had a little while ago with, it's a couple of years ago actually now, with Omar Pinto, who's a friend of mine slash coach and lives in Costa Rica. He's on the medicine path and a medicine man today. And he grew up um, Jehovah's Witness. So he talks about his struggle with it. And it was just interesting to to compare. Do you remember more about that or just that struggle? It's oh, Well, for me, it was... It was existential because part of me like really wanted to serve God as I understood it then. Um, and I think it was legitimate. I think it was a real vocation. In a way, I'm still doing that priestly role in, like, in, right. in, in the ultimate sense. I don't, need, I don't need anybody to tell me that I do that. I know that I do right. that. Um, I don't need to be ordained by anybody. Right. I know I do that. Ordained by God. <laughs> <laughs> But at that time that I was so conflicted because I was told by the religion in which I was raised that I was anathema, that I was an abomination in right. the eyes of God because I was gay. Right. And so talk about conflict, like trying to reconcile these two opposite sides. And so my adolescence was one long depression, like one long depression with suicidal fantasies. Oh, just wrestling with those two yeah, like this part right. of me that wanted to, like it was so loved God as I understood it then. And yet I was being told that I was going to burn in hell for eternity. And, and I remember being a kid, like young, and you know, I'm Cuban. Um, so coming from an island, island environment, I asked a priest once, how, how long is eternity exactly? <laughs> <laughs> and using an island appropriate metaphor, he goes, well, imagine you go to the beach with a thimble. And you start taking water out of the ocean, mm. that's eternity, <laughs> which of course terrified me. Right. Because to put things in context. But he understood why you were asking? No, no, no. No, no. no. He just, I was just asking right. like, hypothetically. He wasn't trying to my add. My friend, asking for right. my friend. <laughs> he wasn't trying to make you more scared. I don't know. I All don't right, got so. it. Okay. I don't think so. Um, but to put things in context, masturbation is still considered a mortal sin in Catholicism. And, you know, we don't, we don't we have to get into the whole hierarchy of, thi of sins thing, but they have your, your uh, what do they call them? Menial. Menial? I think a menial sense. Um, you know, you're lying, you're stealing, you're cheating. Right. Kind of, that's, they look the other way. Slapping the, you know, <laughs> you know, slap in the hand and uh, do a, an Our Father or a Hail Mary. Um, then there's your whole other category of mortal sins which means that if you die having committed a mortal sin and you haven't received absolution, forgiveness, and this can't be done directly, it has to be done through a priest. Um, talk about a control right. scam. Um, you go to hell for eternity. And being gay is a mortal sin? <laughs> yeah. That's one. Masturbation is like minor compared to that. <laughs> That's yeah. like... like I, th I forget. I forget the the exact punishments, but homosexuality is like up like up there with murderers or like really horrible right. stuff, and all from misunderstandings, from mistranslations of you know stuff that was written thousands of years ago, taken, translated, retranslated, mistranslated, stuff taken out, stuff put in, um, you know, stuff that was written at a time where women weren't even human; women were property. Um, and so stuff that, am I going to guide my sense of what's right and wrong by that? It's like, I'm not. Right. I'm not. And yet at the same time, he's like, I know my heart. Like, that's what I'm going to go by. 
So today you still see yourself as living a life of, of meaning the, the childhood dream, like the, the drive has come true. You've just kind of yeah. taken out the middleman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm living on purpose. I'm right. fulfilling my mission. I know. What is it? The, what's it, the Japanese word? Ikigai? I don't know. I don't know if I rem- I'm going to remember them all, but there's four things that, that if you can say that it's something that you're good at, something that you can make money with, something that the world needs, I'm forgetting the fourth one. But if you can right, hit, hit those four. four, then you got Ikigai. And yeah. I can do all four. With this, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm living my purpose. I'm good at it. People need it. Right, it feels good. The world needs Helps it. Helps others, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't hurt anyone in the process. It's no, just how, on yeah. contrary. Yeah, on the contrary. Yeah. I, I mean, I, get, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how frequently I've heard you change my life. Right. What's better than that? As long as you change it for the good. <laughs> <laughs> Always. That's better, yeah. Always. No, it's, and it's, even when you say, like, what did you do? Right. Oh, you just connected them with their breath, right? You didn't, you didn't introduce any ideas. Well, some of them are in retreats. Right. So it's a combination of helping them understand, right? Like at a cognitive level, why they do the things they do. Like understanding right. the ego mind, understanding how to get free from the prison of the mind and all its shenanigans, you know, it's a, the projection, control free. I mean, you're not telling them whether their job is good for them or not good for them. You'll figure that out in the breath work. Right. Yeah. Right, right. I'm, I'm giving them the tools that they need to free themselves and heal themselves. Right. Like, I don't take credit for the healing that happens in the breath work. Like, to me, that's spirit. That's the breath. But I do take credit for bringing myself fully present and for creating a safe environment in which that person, that that group can let go of whatever they need to let go of so that I get healed and cleared. Right. And there's a lot to be said for that. So So let's go back to that question. A lot being said for that. If someone... Someone could reach out to you if someone could, um, if, the, if it happens to be in a place you're working with or if you eventually publish a list of people who you've certified and they can go with them, great. If not, if they don't do any of those things and they're just out there, maybe they started working with a breathwork practitioner or they joined a class, they, what would, or, or they're interested in starting, what are the things to, to, to look for? How would in a someone breathwork know? practitioner? Yeah. I'm looking for someone. I'm yeah. looking for this kind of breathwork stuff. I know that, you know, for example, Wim Hof has his own breathing stuff, which seems to me, I've done it a number of times, it seems to me to be much more physical or, you know, it is. related. I mean, and, and I'm talking about this kind of breathwork. And I'm thankful for his healing. work. He's, he's really done a lot to get huge, huge. breathwork out yeah. there. But I think his approach, if you want to, you know, if you want to talk about it from a more masculine energy, it's more that. It's like, how do you use the breath to transcend the limitations of the body? temperature you know the, the cold dips i think he yeah. hiked i don't I forget which mountain but in shorts like snow covered <laughs> mountain in shorts by using his breath so there's a lot to that right it's a lot that's very empowering and transcending limitation to be able to do that kind of stuff i think even with viruses or stuff like that like he's taking pre with breath works and have he'll get injected with the virus and it's like we'll beat the virus yeah it's like pretty that. amazing yeah, stuff yeah. it's a pretty amazing stuff my approach, you could say, is more feminine in the sense, in the sense that it, it's more about going within rather than, you know, you know, right. than, than conquering the, the body or conquering the world. It's more about freeing yourself. So it's, it's, and, and it's really courageous. Like it's, it's no less, to me, to me, it might even be more courageous because it's the willingness to go inside 
and to face our demons. To me, it's heroic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, to, and to be willing to feel stuff that in some cases we spent a lifetime running away from, self-medicating not to feel, self-medicating with drugs, alcohol, food, sex, shopping, gaming, <laughs> social media, exercise, all the ways that we use to, to not feel and to not think and to run away from ourselves, to distract ourselves. And in breath work, we're saying, like, I'm going in there, and I'm willing to see whatever comes up for the sake of my freedom. Stuff of heroes. Right. I was speaking to someone recently who's, you know, started on the path and, uh, you know, doing breath work, medicine, uh, coaching, just whole gamut. But over the last few months and the conversation with me, I asked them a question. They were struggling with an ayahuasca experience and I asked them a question about it. Like, wow, I'm really, the realization for them was the recognition that the people around them that are struggling, they benefit from in some way. Like they're almost feeding that struggle by being needed, I think was the, oh, the yeah, realization. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And I was like, wow, am I, am I really doing that? Am I really yeah. keeping the people around me sick? And um, so those were your words, not, not <laughs> my, it was literally what you said in response to, to a question. So if you feel that way, then, um, then yeah. He says, wow, I'm doing that. It makes me want to vomit. And I said, that's, <laughs> I was like, that's why they call this work courageous because we all have to look at things that are, Really brutal to look at about yeah, ourselves. Yeah, and it's sometimes not... remember stuff that we don't want to remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, um, sometimes we're talking about the 12 steps, right? So step four deals with resentments. Step nine, step eight, nine deals with um, amends we have to make. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, it's kind of taking everyone through this process. First, you kind of get to be the victim, you know, in step four. Oh, this person hurt me and I'm upset in this person and kind of work through that. And then we get to the other side and it's where we're the, the ones who hurt others, you know, the, mm -hmm. the amends we have to make. It's like, right, yeah, there's, right, 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 there's, and that's the harder thing to face, but they're both hard, right? Seeing where we were truly hurt and seeing where we hurt others, yeah. both. But it's that work yeah. that's, you know, the healing is not, it's not a pretty process because we often have to face things about ourselves that are hard to uh, admit. Yeah. We yeah. wish it was a whole world who had those problems. Yeah. Yeah. But but I, th it. I think the hardest thing, like in all the stuff that I, in my retreats that people, you know, face, I think the one that I've noticed is the hardest um, to really take on is, is letting go of the victim consciousness. Like, poor me, was me. You know, if only my mom hadn't done that or dad did this, if only the system was set up differently, if only there wasn't sex, sexism or, mm -hmm. or misogyny or or homophobia or racism and not to deny that people do horrible things and not to deny and not to make it okay and not to say that the system is, is set up unfairly because it is set up unfairly. So it's not to deny any of that, but if we want to be free, we got we to gotta go beyond that, right? If we're holding somebody uh, or if we're blaming them for what they did or didn't do, we're giving our power away. If we're, if we're blaming the system, we're giving our power away and we're keeping ourselves disempowered in victim mode. And it's tough. And to me, the one who best exemplifies that, Viktor Frankl, the Austrian psychiatrist. Right. Yeah. Spent years in concentration camps. Right. Lost everything, everyone, his pregnant wife, soulmate kind of relationship. Um, and that man was able to say that they could take everything away from him except for one thing. The ability right. to choose how yeah. he would be in response to that. Yeah, ridiculously powerful. Ridiculous. If he can do it there, 
certainly we can do it in our lives. Not to minimize anybody's trauma either. Right. But, but <laughs> come on. Yeah. Certainly we can do it. Right. There's definitely lives. something to tap into about that realization that he had to yeah. overcome that. What do you feel like it is that um, keeps people there? When you say it's the hardest thing, you see people. It's go, responsibility. It's responsibility. responsibility. It's a lot easier to say, well, I can, you know, I'm not so successful because of the way the system is, the way, my, the, way, the way that I was taught, the family or the culture that I was raised in. It's a lot easier, right? And the thing is that life is going to continue throwing curveballs. Like, that we can count on. Right, we'll all have a, a number of excuses. For sure, but, but once we say, all right, well, that sucked, and I'm so sorry that happened, and I wish it hadn't happened, and what are you going to do? How are you going to show up in response to that? That alone pops you out of the victim mode. And this is the number one? That's the one that people have the hardest time with. So fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Which, and forgiveness. But is I it think, different? That was just, yeah, right. I think in some cases, yeah. And forgiveness is kind of the same thing. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. If we're holding somebody with a fire for what they did or didn't do, our hand is also getting burnt. Um, and so there's even like a level of, like we've been told, forgiveness is for us. And yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing that to remember about forgiveness is like, I think of the, if you think of the heart, and I'm not talking the, the organ, but the heart center, um, the, the chakra, the energy mm -hmm. system. It opens and closes in the same way that the, you know, the eye does to, to or, or the, the, the camera to allow more or less light in, in this way is to allow more or less love in. We can't close it selectively, right? To the, to the ex who left us for somebody else or cheated on us or to dad who wasn't there or to the boss who fired us. We can't shut it selectively. If we shut it, we shut it. So it's not even about them. It's, it's about, about everyone me else. and my heart. Right. It's about my heart oh. and love. Right. And am I open or am I closed? Right. My heart and life. My and relationship to life. So what you're saying is not willing to forgive is keeping that shutter closed. Yeah. yeah. That's it. So you connected. And, and by the way, it doesn't have to be, doesn't, we don't have to do it in stupid ways either. Like, doesn't mean we have to go have brunch with them after we forgive them. Um, but we have to forgive. And, and there's levels of forgiveness because a lot of times I'll have people come to breathe and they'll say, oh, no, no, I already, I already worked on that. I already, you know, did therapy on that and I already forgave them. And then when they breathe, there's a whole other level, of, which is the heart level forgiveness. Like one thing's forgiving up here, I forgive you. There's another level of forgiveness that happens in the heart. Which to you is reopening that heart. Yeah. So maybe there's something that resonated um, recently is there's there, there are kind of vows we make, right? So if something happens to us and we say, okay, I promise never to get hurt in that way again. That's it. And so maybe that's it's maybe a different way of saying what you're saying now where, okay, I'm going to forgive this person for what they did, but that promise that I made to that's never get it. hurt again. That's, that promise is still being kept. That's it. And the thing about those promises is that sometimes we made them when we're like this old. Oh, yeah. We were kids. Right. Had no idea about anything. I'm never going to be watching our, our parents having an argument. I'm never going to do that. Never going to do that. We, and sometimes they don't mm -hmm. even remember that they made that choice. 
And then they wonder why the relationships don't work out. Right? Because there's like we, we, we there's a part of us that wants the relationship, so we do this, but then they start getting too close and we do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So so we end up sabotaging our relationships before we even get started by attracting people who are not a match, people who are not available, to live on the other side of the world, the other side of the country, they're already with somebody else. Uh, they're just not there emotionally. And so subconsciously we're sabotaging them to avoid getting hurt or, or to avoid losing ourselves in another relationship. Whatever, whatever it is that we're afraid of will happen. End up in divorce, get hurt, get mm -hmm. cheated on, all the things that we fear. But there's still that longing so that we end up doing this approach avoidance <laughs> thing. Um, it's not, and it's not a good strategy because by sabotaging, sabotaging them, we end up ensuring the very same thing we're trying to avoid, which, which end up alone. Right, they're guaranteed. Gonna, they're guaranteed. They're guaranteed. <laughs> I want to pull apart the, the forgiveness and the victimhood thing. So when you spoke about victimhood, you said the pull there is the fear of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And for forgiveness, like not willing to... Um, forgive the past? Is that also not wanting to take responsibility for the future? Is there something, hmm, that's something else? Inter there? That's a really interesting question. I hadn't thought about it in that way. I'll have to think about that some more. I think the forgiveness, the core, the forgiveness thing is I don't want to get hurt again. So if, if I forgive you, if I really, oh, and I think there's an element of being right. Justice. Being right. Like if right. I forgive, then I'm not right anymore. Right, exactly. Right, like justice so the, has so to there's yes. a, I don't think it's justice. I think justice is a different thing. Okay. I, think, I think it's self-righteousness. Got it. Like, I'm right and you're wrong. Oh, and if I don't... Uh... Yeah. And if I forgive, then I don't get to be right anymore. And that's, that's kind of twisted. But it is one of the functions of the ego, which is that being right. It's a really strong need in, in human beings. Right. I had a business transaction I once did with someone, and I felt like they um, didn't keep their word. And because of that, it caused all of these consequences. And at one time during a, you know, healing this resentment and everything else, I looked at it in a different way. And what I said was, hey, you know, this process, let's say, went on, wasn't exact, let's say it went on for a year, where the word was not kept. And as a result, I had these consequences. So I said, well, if I'm being honest about this, th the word wasn't kept for one day. And I knew after that one day that they were someone who didn't, keep their word the way I wanted them to. So if I'm looking at this 365-day period where all of these things fell apart, <laughs> I'm responsible for 364. They're responsible for one. Because on the first day, I had no way of knowing that they weren't going to keep their word. But the second day, I should have known because they didn't on the first day. Right. And this helped me um, release a lot of it. I said, okay, I'm responsible for 364 days. They're That's responsible right. for one. They don't get to use the same calculation when they, they have to do their... That's right. You know, but also, um, I was working with my perspective of the situation, meaning even with my rigid perspective of the situation where I was right and they were wrong, I was still responsible for 364 days and they were responsible yeah. for one, even with it. And that, that, and that goes back to the personal accountability, right? Because what we do with that is like, well, bad them, poor me. Bad person, you know, out of integrity. Right? We point the finger. Ego's great at that. But how many, when, if we get really honest and we, and we look at that, we overrode our intuition. At which point did we override that first flag? Right, exactly. And then the second one, and then the red flag. And we kept overriding them. So, <laughs> right, so what was pulling us there? <laughs> right. So, and, and that's tough, like owning responsibility. It's tough.
It's you, really hard. You mentioned before, um, like, you know, like the many different hates people assume exist. I'm kind of sensitive to that because, um, like, growing up, I felt like way too many Jews went there with anti-Semitism. Like, sometimes things, bad things happen to everyone. Sometimes bad things happen to, to Jews, and it's not necessarily anti-Semitism. It can just be whatever. I don't know. The teller wasn't that nice. <laughs> I have no idea that it wasn't wasn't necessarily about um, it being a Jew on the other side. Uh, my connection to that is I saw a study recently. I saw someone talk about this study. I didn't read the study, so it could be made up, but I'll put it out there. It was interesting in any case. Was They took a number of women who they drew kind of scars on their face. And they said, okay, you're going to be going in for interviews. And they showed them in a mirror what it looked like with various scars. And then just before they were walking in, they said, oh, one sec, let's just touch this up. And they wiped off all the scars from their face, but they didn't know. So while they thought it was being touched up, everything was being moved. So they walked in huh. with a regular face. And all or most of them reported discrimination for their physical appearance wow. afterwards. So I should dive into this. I saw it like quick, someone talking about it, but it is kind of fascinating the way. It is fascinating. Like Meaning even if that study isn't true, the concept is something that I think feels true to me when I watch people's healing process. Yeah. That we're able to let go of a lot of things yeah. that yes. we're sure the yes. other person is, is at fault for. I liked what you said a lot about overriding the intuition. Like that's something we can all take responsibility for. Oh my God, yeah, all of us. We've done it a thousand times. <laughs> right. And I don't think we can deny that there's anti-Semitism. There of is. course it exists, right. And what right. You're, so you're pointing to something else which I think is really valid too, is the mindset that we bring to any human interaction has an impact on it. Right. Whether we wake up cranky or how we approach that meeting is going to have a total, whether we're cranky or, or, you know, in a great blissful place is going to have an impact on that kind of conversation. Yeah. I mean, there are times I've, I've experienced anti, anti-Semitism, but the way I knew was, you know, I was, I one of the comes to mind, I was walking to England with a few friends and before we were attacked, the guy said, you effing Jews. So I'm like, oh, he's probably an anti-Semite, right? <laughs> that was what tipped me <laughs> That was what tipped me yeah, off. That's a good clue. <laughs> right. <laughs> but had he not said that, it could have been any number of things. It could have been wanting money or something else. So that's all I'm saying is that the knee jerk to go there is like, oh, yeah. that's for sure what happened is, you know, we're in, some, in truth, we're all minorities. Like we yeah. all are in in a different way. We're all one. We're all a minority in, in some way. Yeah. And we're walking in and yeah, there's this person hates that person who hates that. There's, there, there are these stuff, but it's not actually a unique experience. It's the most common experience. Yeah. Traumas. I mean, who doesn't have trauma? It's the most common experience. For a while I walked around like I had, I was sexually abused as a child. Okay. So were many people. Me too. You know, so were many, many people way too high. <laughs> The numbers, right? Do I and many have come to the other side of that. Can you are you comfortable talking about that? Because yeah, I feel like with that, there's a lot of people who feel like it's one and done. They were sexually abused and their life is over. God no. I have worked with so many people, so many. I mean, and the numbers are pretty crazy. I think it's one out of four women, one out of six men. Right. Depending on how you define yeah. it, yeah. there can be a lot. If you start talking about verbal things, yeah, or yeah, yeah. one of the ways I look at it. Is not was someone sexually abused, but was someone's sexuality abused? Yeah. And then you, the numbers are astronomical because you talk about the purity of a child and them being introduced to sex in either violent ways, like I was, or um, 
just being introduced at all. Maybe, you know, I had a, a friend uh, from recovery whose father was convinced at five or six years old that he was going to be gay. And he would turn on porn in front of him, hoping he would get him excited by regular uh, <laughs> oh, pornography. Like straight, he straight right, porn. straight porn. Hope he he had so, he he eventually did become or was gay or whatever. You know, he is gay today. As a child, his father was concerned that this may happen. Right. And what he did was the irony is what he did was is he put straight porn on in front of him right, right, right. and taught him to masturbate. Right, sexualized at right. an early at, age. Right at this age, so whatever. I mean, the whole thing is insane. He was struggling. I remember when he, he was in our, our group, our group, you know, for sex addiction recovery, and he was struggling seeing this as an abusive interaction because his father was trying to educate him and teach him. So he saw it in that context. Not there was an adult who was masturbating me or was masturbating in front of me. Like he didn't. It took him a few people right. kind of like, dude, that's right. like straight sexual, right? Yeah. Sexual abuse. My point is that that interaction is very sexually abusive, meaning when you say his sexuality was abused, how was he introduced yeah. to sex? That's a great, great yeah. way of putting it, putting it. So the numbers are astronomical when you, yeah. especially in today's day and age where so much of our culture is. Yeah, yeah. I see it all the time. And I can see it in the body sometimes before the person even remembers. So say more about that. Well, like one of my favorite success stories mm -hmm. is um, this woman, like probably her 50s when she came to me, really successful. Like she was vice president of a global multinational and, and like were, vice president that really meant something, not just right. like every other person's a vice president <laughs> in the company, like in the banks. Like not a three-person company. <laughs> right. <laughs> like a, um, out in the bank. Every but she was like tr in charge of global blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. I forget what she did. But she had never had a successful relationship. And so she started come to, coming to me for breathwork for retreats. And boy, did she fight. She fought that probably more than anybody who's ever come to me. She fought going deep into the breathwork. What does that look like, fighting in breathwork? Like not breathing. Yeah. And then, you know, do all my tricks to get her to breathe. <laughs> all the things that I do to bring them back and breathe. And like she would literally consciously not breathe yeah. <laughs> um, until I said to her, look, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> if you don't want to breathe, don't breathe. And so that's when she really yeah. started breathing, but started having memories and started putting dots together. Like this is, the human mind is so amazing. She realized that where the abuse had happened and it was her um, pediatrician, she had moved back into the town of her childhood, and she was literally down the street, two blocks away from where, from where it happened oh, originally. Oh, this retreat? Oh. No, no, I mean, that's like after several retreats, she realized that this thing, that she was living right down the street, like she connected the thing. And like after multiple retreats, I can't remember how many, you know, maybe four or five. But in the very last session, she had like the final breakthrough where she saw herself in this closed room and she thought that she was being kept in the room until she realized that she was the one because the, the, because there was the, who was keeping herself trapped and from keeping her from le leaving the room because in a sense she was getting what her payoff was she had gotten a lot of attention like she felt really special from the pediatrician um, so that's what she had to give up you know that specialness from from a child she was like a little kid so but she had to give that up today 
No, she had to give it up today, right, in order to free herself. Like still wanting that specialness and attention? Yeah, I mean, but, but right. filtered through the mind of a, of a child that right. didn't know any better. So, and not even aware of what she was doing. Or, or not even aware of the whole special thing until we processed it after the fact. And so that was on a Sunday. On Tuesday, she's having lunch with a friend that she had lunch with regularly. And the woman goes, oh. I don't know why I hadn't thought about this before, but you need you and so you need to meet my friend so and so. <laughs> um, they had lunch within two weeks. Long story short, I married them. Wow! I like the relationship of her dream, like an enviable relationship. Amazing. Amazing. So when I do my my retreats on relationships, it's kind of paraphrasing the one of the themes is paraphrasing the Course of Miracles. That is not our job to look for love, but to look within ourselves for the obstacles to love, the ways that we're keeping love at bay, the ways that we're afraid of it, and so that we end up doing this. And in her, in her case, it's like we can understand why. She didn't want to trust. We understand, it's understandable. It's not rocket science. But when she cleared that and healed that, then and the she heart became, did what the heart became does. available. Right. And love came and knocked her upside the head. <laughs> <laughs> right. I like that... Uh... Phrasing more for more than just love, but a lot of other things. Yeah. It's not a job to look for, right? What are the obstacles to Within it? here. Right. Yeah. How are we keeping it away? How are we right. blocking it? Right. Love and many other things. But I guess on some level, you can say everything yeah. is love, right? The healing is love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and that's where we end up sabotaging our relationships. Because right? we're subconsciously, we're afraid that something bad's going to happen. We're going to get hurt. We're going to be left. We're going to be cheated on. We're going to lose myself, all etc. And so we end up attracting the wrong people and end up sabotaging them. But it's not a, not a good strategy. It's hard work. It's heroic work. But it is so worthwhile to dive within and to clear the obstacles. Right. I think that, you know, one of the differences between the way you're talking about these problems and the way you're able to address it Therapy doesn't even give a therapist, like the therapeutic modalities don't really offer a therapist this track, even if they wanted to. In many cases, um, they're, they're kind of left to alleviate just the most pressing symptoms in the way the patient chooses. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. So there's... Um, For me, the, the other thing that was missing, and I, and, and I know that there's some schools that correct that now. But it was leaving the whole spiritual exactly. side out of it. Yes, exactly. That's what they're forced to do is take the spiritual yeah. side off the table. That somehow this wasn't meant to happen to you. Somehow this was <laughs> like you're on the wrong path. And, and to me, that's like, how can you leave? Like, that's as ridiculous as me trying to leave my sexuality out of my life by trying to be a priest. <laughs> right. Because in those days, I naively thought that priests were celibate. Mm. So it was a way that I could sublimate my sexuality and not oh, have to think, deal with it. You thought they weren't just saying it, they actually were. I thought they actually were. Oh. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was a way for me. I mean, subconsciously, I wasn't doing this right. consciously then. But looking back on, back on it, it was like, I know that that was part of it. I think part of it was a real vocation. But I think part of it, too, is a way that I didn't have to deal with sexuality. And I know that's why a lot of priests get into the priesthood, too. Right. Can I just, can I just shelf this? That's the, probably the first thing that medicine worked on for me. Um, like the, these whole modalities was I was in 12 steps for a long time. And my approach to dealing with sexuality and what I, you know, I just put it on a shelf and said, I'm not going to, I'm not, I can't touch it. You know, I put a right. box around my sexuality, danger, 
Right. I don't go there. Right. You know, every once in a while we need to touch it just to make a baby. But other <laughs> than that, no. And medicine changed that completely. Good. For me, completely, completely it's changed. It allowed me to. Part of, part yeah. of being human. Sexuality, yeah. spirituality, we can't deny. Right. Whole parts of being human. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So you're saying in terms of healing that people take spiritual spirituality off the table from healing. And it's like, how can you? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, um, when the 12 steps started. So Carl Jung was having dialogue with, um, I think it was Bill Wilson, one of the founders. And he, he phrased it this way, where he said, he's seen certain people who are, um, alcoholics of the type that only spirituality can like only a complete spiritual awakening or spiritual transformation could heal them. But in a lot of ways, it's for all of us. The only way healing can come in is through, is through spirituality. And so much of therapy has to put that on the table and pretend that that doesn't exist. Only if, I know with several therapists, and I, I, I saw it being on the other end of it. I had a therapist who was a religious man who never once spoke about God unless I went there first. Right. But he would never introduce that, that uh, worldview. There's, yeah, neither would I. Like I, I would never introduce. But you're still introducing spiritual, yeah. meaning spirituality in terms of, yeah. if you're saying like this victimhood kind of approach, um, like real forgiveness and letting go. I found when I was in therapy, therapists couldn't, like if I was feeling bad about my abuse, they just had to make me feel a little better about yeah. that. Or give you medication, worse yet, to not feel. Yes, one of the things, that, I don't know where it came from, Every single time I was in therapy and therapist, I did probably three or four times, was, hey, why don't you consider, you know, for this anxiety or for the, you know, sexual addiction, maybe you can take this and it can help with that. And it was I mean, crazy anxiety. I'm like, no, anything else. You can give me 50 things to do before that. You. I do not Good want medication. So, and I'm not denying 100% that like antidepressants, you know, that for some people there maybe probably is a, a brain biochemistry thing. And that for some people, it may, it may be helpful. And I would don't know what the number is, but I think we know that the, by far the majority of people that, that are you know, depressed and, and antidepressants, if they came to breathe and they actually, right. rather than try to numb it out and not feel it, but actually dove into it and dealt with it, that it would clear it permanently. Right. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you know, get off your meds. Like, have that conversation with your doctor, but, but explore because the, pro the problem with the antidepressants, too, is that it just numbs out all, all emotions. Well, I've seen it recently. I can think of one example of a, a gentleman who he did go through a very, very, very significant life experience, very significant. And most likely it was very necessary for a period of time because of what had happened, meaning he was, you know, lived for decades on the planet without needing it. Something specific happened, as Dr. Yes. recommended it, but now it was several years later and he was still on it. He went off of it and started engaging in these kind of practices between breathwork and um, and psychedelic medicines. And last I heard, it's been months and months and months. He's yeah, not, yeah, not back yeah. on it. So I, th there's definitely many. I, yes. I don't know if it was. I first of all, I've tr I've I've done that route, right? Is stay away from medication, even those recommended, and try other ways. But certainly, if I still felt the way I felt when I was in that therapy office, right now I would. I would yeah. try. I was yeah, in a state yeah, feeling yeah. like yeah. that forever. I mean, just I'm gonna like I can't, don't get off your meds on your own. Like, do it with a trained professional. But try some breathing. Yeah, try breath. Like, this, introduce other modalities and don't numb it out. 
Does that stop it? Meaning if someone is on antidepressants and they do a breathwork session, do you find that it... it they tend to have a more... Muted. ...experience. Mm -hmm. Muted. That's a good word. Because the thing about that, you know, what used to be... Here's why numbing it out doesn't work. Um, and the reason that, that I think therapy can fall short is because what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy, now we know from quantum physics, everything is energy. The chair, the mic, the body, the emotions... Everything is energy, even though it might feel solid. We're vibration. Energy cannot be destroyed, we also know from physics. So all those traumas from the past, right? All the stuff that are unavoidable, you know, the, the process of birth, loss of loved ones, accidents, loss of a pet, those, those are all traumatic. And Traumatic in the sense that they still live within us. They, are, those, they become energy. They're energy. Stored. And... And all the, the thousands of times that we have stuffed our emotions, right? We thought that if I really f say what I'm feeling now, it's going to cause conflict. It's going to end the relationship. Mm. I'm going to end up alone. So we swallow it. We're afraid of conflict. We hate confrontation. And so, but the thing is that just because we swallow it or try to sweep it under the rug, it doesn't go away. It doesn't right. work. It gets, it gets stuck and it actually festers under, under the rug. It only gets worse. Um, and so it's, it's not an effective strategy. So I would say the sooner in your life, cause I saw it, I've seen it in, in you know, people that if you wait till like, till like the end of your life, my mom just passed a few months ago and I saw stuff coming out and she was starting to get dementia and the stuff that I saw coming out of her was stuff that she hadn't resolved from, from adolescence. Right. Or she, she was bullied by, you know, kind of a nasty girl in in high school and that was coming up it was coming right. up at the end of her Unreal. life right and a few breathing said you never got her into it the breathing she came once she came once she came once <laughs> <laughs> yeah she and i did a private session and you know most often it's not a good idea to do it with your with your loved ones or your right family. but but i knew that that's the only way she would even try it and I have a strong sense of myself, so I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to use it for abuse of power or right. take advantage or anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah, all my siblings at this point have, have, have come, to, have have come to breathe. Awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've, yeah, I'm, I have eight, eight siblings, so more and more they're uh, intrigued. Yeah. By some listen to the podcast sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of my family members said the other, I said something, um, to say, oh, you know, you sometimes, one of my family challenged me, you sometimes speak too openly about things. I said, referring to something I said, said on a podcast? It's like, no, I don't listen to your podcast. A <laughs> few. <laughs> so that, no, it's like something you said yesterday at the end. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, okay. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's yeah, tough. Yeah. That's a tough one. The family. Right. No, but I actually, in my case, I see that it's, um, I, there has when when I started like in therapy years ago, and originally I'd started I was I was addressing like sexual abuse and what happened to me as a child. Um, I was kind of like the odd one out in my family, where it's like, oh, you went through a traumatic experience, so you need to so you need to do some healing. Like poor you. Right. And now it's kind of reversed a little bit. I think. Sure. Yeah. Where it's like, oh. <laughs> you started on something I should have started on a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. That. yeah. And and that's the other thing, even though for a lot of people, that's really hard, right? To, to buck the family, um, 
you know, structure in order to get free. Like I had to do that. Um, my parents actually had a worse time with me joining an ashram and leaving the one true religion uh, than with my being gay. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm they had a tougher time. But then they started to say, right? They started to look at my eyes and you can see right, the you're happy. You yeah, can exactly. see the love. You can see yeah. he's not going crazy. Right. <laughs> right. Quite the opposite. And then mm -hmm. maybe someone mentioned something to them like, hey, your son or brother or something, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. had a real profound impact. It's like, really? That stuff is real? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually they'll look yeah. in our eyes and they'll say, huh, tell me, tell me about that meditation thing again. Tell me about that breath work. Tell me about right. that plant medicine experience you had. Yeah. Or the the temescal or whatever it is right it's sort of like becoming a beacon a beacon of of light right. rather than trying to get them to come to it which is the human thing do you want to do hey come do it come, come right do i started this. that at first like my yeah. first my first couple of years in therapy i had like my whole family i was like whoever wants to go it's sponsored by me like go go go, yeah. go. and uh no now yeah, it's that doesn't work very well right <laughs> now it's i'd say sometimes we like the reverse a little bit where it's like hey i was thinking about do you know what you're getting into like That's you really good. yeah like m maybe more words of caution than yeah than anything else because some are valid meaning in terms of your own journey all you did was a breath work but then you left your job and joined an ashram right so thank goodness thank goodness right thank goodness is what <laughs> yeah. you're saying yeah, but yeah. from their perspective they're right. freaking out right but as much as, you know, from their perspective, I was joining a cult. Right. Someone once asked me, how come, and they're very pro, like they're a healer of sorts, and they've um, guided a lot of people towards medicine and deeper healing and everything else. But they said, they asked me, I'm just wondering, how come certain people go down this path and they become closer to their, in this, the question was phrased as Judaism, but closer to their religion, and some become further away from it after they go through the process. So I thought about it and I said, well, I guess it depends where it's coming from for that person, right? If it's, if it's their truest expression and being used in a healthy way, then yeah, why not reinforce it? Mm -hmm. But if it's not, it's going to tear it down. It is. And for many people, that's, I've seen that happen. You know, it's like, well, how can I, how, you know, because religion is a great way to hide a lot of, mask a lot of ills. I know a guy who yeah. was, there's a law in Judaism, not many laws in Judaism, but one of the laws is that when you're praying, right, so the morning prayer by men is done with um, black straps in your arm, and it's like, uh, like uh, rolled up scrolls, which mm -hmm. has portions of the Bible on the hand and the head. It's called tefillin. And there's a law that you're not allowed to wear the tefillin if one needs to go to the bathroom. And he said he didn't get, from when he was 13, when he started putting them on, um, till he was in his mid-20s, he never once made it through a prayer without going to the bathroom. And to everyone around him, um, this, and there were many other examples of this very obsessive, um, like, uh, attention to detail mm -hmm. on, like, Jewish laws. Like, oh, what does it say here? What does it say here? Because he said what would happen is during the prayer, he would get into this headspace of, do I need to go to the bathroom? And we can ask that question to ourselves right now. It's like, do I need to? Well, if I went in there, maybe something would come out. I don't know, right? So he said he never got through a full 30, 40-minute prayer without having to take it off, saying, maybe I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but what was interesting was that he was viewed as a model example of religious observance, 
where in any other context, someone would say, dude, you're OCD. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I take care of this. So someone like this, yeah. obviously it wasn't an authentic expression of themselves. It was an expression of all of their fears and illnesses. Like, yeah, that was going to get teared down. But for someone else, um, it may be, hey, the truest expression of yourself is whatever that is. Oh, you're a rabbi and you're running a synagogue. Yeah, do that more fully and do these things within it. All of a sudden that comes out. It's like, wow, this guy's, I see him getting more and more religious, <laughs> you know, through the process. Yeah. So I just found that as Yeah, and, I, and there are layers, right? There are levels of religion. And, and I think what you're talking about, the reason that it's deep in your connection is because you're, you're not focused on the more superficial ceremonial aspect, right? I'm not calling it dogmatic intentionally. Right. Um, though it could be. Well, humans have the tendency to. To, yeah. Yes. But the truth is that you don't have to have anything around your arm or you don't have to sit in a certain way to meditate to have a powerful connection. You don't need it. Correct. It, if you hold it intentionally, of course it can help you there. It can help you that ceremony, that ritual trains the body to drop in and it brings you into that sacred space in that and that's in that sense it can definitely help yeah there's a spirit behind all these things one of the yeah. things i connect to when i'm putting it on is that you know for thousands of years this has been practiced by ancestors and yet some skipped it but it's like when i'm doing this practice i'm engaging um in in something that's kind of connecting me to a heritage of of sorts but of course there yeah, are many if you're in a situation like on, on a deserted island and you didn't have it with you you would still have amazing prayer and a deep connection you know what's interesting in fact on the holiest days in the jewish calendar like for sabbath or other mm -hmm. holidays it's not used pray without it it's mm -hmm. almost like you don't need it on Good, on those yeah. days so it, you're 100 percent right it's not it's not viewed as needed for prayer it's a practice and a ritual that we engage in for one of the prayers, one of the three prayers we do every day. And that's the way I connect to it. Whereas for a time when I was growing up, it was if I missed it on one day, I would right. feel guilt. Right. And then what I realized was that this association became not godly at all. <laughs> right. It right. became guilty. Guilt? <laughs> guilt. I was like, oh, I'm putting guilt on my arm and today. And then we rebel against <laughs> right. it because exactly. it doesn't it feel good. good. Right. So we say, screw that. I don't want so, that. Yeah. Yeah, this has been a very like kind of careful journey with me on... Um, religion and Judaism, but I feel it more and more as an expression of um, of myself and a true expression, and, you know, along with this, which didn't start as a religious thing. It started more as proud Jew response to anti-Semitism. I'd heard mm -hmm. some things, like some politicians recommending a little less pride around being Jewish, like, don't be so obvious so there isn't hate that comes towards you. I'm like, that's really? crazy. Yikes. Yeah, just the, just the opposite. In Europe, it's commonplace, by the way, to huh. say that. Yeah, it's like, hey, don't be too obvious about the fact that you're Jewish, because, huh. yeah. yeah like, from, from the like politicians, oh, No, from no, politicians. politicians yeah, but no, then it becomes to everyone. When I was a kid going to my grandparents and my all my mom's family lives in France, when we would visit, they say, wear a baseball cap or something, don't make it obvious that you're, that you're Jewish. And that was commonplace in Europe. I had heard it then in America, like 2020, in COVID. I'm like, no, we can't let this happen here. So I instinctively the response yeah. was okay more yeah it kind of makes more more sense it. that it would have be more prevalent in europe yeah yeah the holocaust did start there yeah. after all yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i had um I mean, there's a lot uh there was a lot we covered here yeah. just i guess we can wrap it up on um maybe some final thoughts well i'm gonna go back to forgiveness because forgiveness can seem really really hard Sometimes it can feel impossible, 
and there's stuff like you know talking about things like sexual abuse like especially things around ch kids really difficult to forgive and yet to me that's one of the three things that if you want to be free there's no way around it right right going within it's no way around it if you mm -hmm. want to be free forgiveness and the getting rid of the you know tearing up the victim card those are the three things that I'm kind of dogmatic about, but not really, because if you if you show me a different way, then I that I would right. consider it. But right now, nobody has 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 been able to show me liberation you, without those three things. How to free yourself without those three things? Yeah. And so, for anybody who might be watching this and who wants to move closer to that place of forgiveness, um, because sometimes we gotta forgive what's unforgivable. And, and so here's what begins to open the door to that. Forgive, like two syllables, flip them around, give for. What we're doing when we forgive is we're giving not the benefit of the doubt, but giving the other person, sometimes ourselves, because that sometimes that's harder to do, right. self-forgiveness, the room to be human, to make, to make mistakes, to fall short of the mark, to, to make a royal mess of things. And it's like the ego, like we've been talking about, is totally self-righteous. I would never do that. Right? So it creates that distance, um, that separation, which is one of the reasons that makes forgiveness difficult to do because I have to give that up, right. <laughs> that, that self-righteous stance. Um, and, and so forgiveness begins to bring in the question marks. Like I can't even imagine that I could ever do that. But maybe if I had been in their shoes, if I had been raised in that way at that time, if I had had their experiences, who knows what was going on with their brain biochemistry, who knows if there was substance abuse, maybe, maybe, maybe I can't even see it, but maybe I too might have done the same. You know Byron Katie? Yeah. So she says, if I believed what they believed, I would murder too. Yeah. 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 So she kind of turns it into not the person, but the beliefs that a person holds. We all hold beliefs yeah. that are not so helpful. Yeah. So they, for whatever reason, believe some things that are not so helpful. Yeah, and, and here's like, the, let's like take it to the extreme, a terrorist. Like nobody watching this is going to wrap their body in, in explosives and go to a mall and detonate themselves. But so it's, that's really easy to, to otherize, to, to separate from. I would never do that. Right, but have let's let's look into that. Have we ever terrorized anybody else emotionally? Have we ever terrorized ourselves? That's a definite yes. We all have. Right. Have we ever hurt ourselves? We all have. Just to hurt someone else. We all a little have. more. And right. so we too have that inner terrorist. It looks right. really different, <laughs> but it begins to soften that harsh separation that I would never do that. The details yeah. are different. Right. But the, the energy of it is, is similar. Yeah. yeah. I certainly... Uh... And, and that begins to make forgiveness possible. And again, it doesn't make it all right. It doesn't rationalize it. It doesn't excuse it. It's not that. But it begins to, it begins to free ourselves. Because we're, we're harming ourselves by holding on to that. You know, one of the things I did with the sexual abuse is for years I felt like I was the weaker person. He was a stronger person because right. in my case, sort of physically overpowered me when he abused me. And, and at one point, it just clicked, and I said, "I'd rather my memories than his." Yeah, like exactly. he has a oh, yeah, oh my god, he has a much deeper oh uphill climb than mine. I was abused. He's got to face himself now. Oh my god, I wouldn't want to be inside of his head. Right. So that was yeah. one, and then another way, um, which I guess is the spiritual path, is kind of zooming out. 
there's this uh, Jewish principle that before a soul enters the world, or I say a Jewish teacher who teaches that before a soul enters the world, a spiritual teacher, that prior entering the world, it, is, it sees all of the hardships it's going to have to go through, and it says, do you accept or not? And if it doesn't accept, it doesn't, it doesn't enter the world. Hmm. So, you know, from that perspective, it's okay, so why would I sign up for this? Why would I agree to go through this, you know, three-year period of being sexually abused? And the way I've put it now, and again, I may be believing total crock of shit, but it makes me feel a lot better, so bear with me on it, is that for where my family was, there was kind of this idea that set in, which has set into a lot steep, deep, deep, deep into a lot of Jews, is this idea that it's okay to suffer horrible lives. Like it's okay to be miserable and difficult. And I know there's certain tropes around um, around Jews, but where I where I grew up, most were impoverished, deeply, deeply impoverished. And there was this idea that it's it's okay somehow suffering in this world eases suffering in the next world. These crazy ideas around just being okay with yeah. miserable reality. That's very Christian too. What? That's very yeah, Christian too. Uh, these right, these <laughs> ideas they're sister religions. You know? <laughs> so yeah. And but this was in my family very deeply. Yeah. Like it's okay, it's normal. This is a very you know it's okay to have to have something like to to struggle in that way. Like this is very normal. You don't have to address it. But this was too much, right? Like sexual abuse. When I stepped out and said, "Hey, like I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to do something for this," I was like, "Oh, of course, you're sexually abused." Meaning it was outside of the framework yes, of yes. acceptable suffering and yes, struggling. Yes, I yes, want to yes. put a lot more things into the framework of yes. acceptable struggling, right? Being yes. overweight. Yeah, some people they breathe every time they breathe hard every time they they sit up like that's too much suffering. Poverty, unacceptable suffering. Yes, there's so many things that I'd like to put back in. So what I feel like is that I chose as a soul to say, you know what? Here's this family kind of here, and there's this one lie that maybe I can expose, and I'm not gonna be able to expose it by talking. I'm gonna have to expose it by undergoing something difficult, and then once I'm able to do that, right and Kind of the proof is what's happened. Once I went through that process of healing, they said, oh, wow, this has nothing to do with the sexual abuse. This is the path we all should be on. And we shouldn't be accepting this level of suffering within us. To me, it was like, hey, I chose this path. Yeah, and, and, and that's the ultimate taking personal responsibility for it. That's the ultimate freeing yourself from victimization. I don't know about that. Like, I can go there. I've, right. There are other teachings that teach, that, like, you choose right. everything, the parents you're born into, the culture, all of it. I can totally go there. I could see why at a soul level we, we, we give It would be very cruel to put on someone else, I, yeah. this perspective. But for me, it's the way I embrace it. Yeah, but I could, I could see, like, why we give ourselves challenges so that we have to grow and something to buck up against and grow and evolve. So there's definite opportunities there. But I can't tell you with certainty that's the way it is. We choose everything at a soul level. I don't know. I can totally go there right. as a possibility. It makes sense to me, but I can't prove it. I can't tell you that's the way <laughs> right. it is. But this I know without a shadow of a doubt, that no matter what happened, no matter what happens, we always get to choose how we show up in response. And that alone is enough to pop, pop us out of victim. Amen. We can call this um, podcast an ode to Viktor Frankl. <laughs> yes. Yes. We'll go with that. Yes. All right. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. I really appreciate this uh, conversation and the work we've done together. I look forward to more. Thank you. Thank you.